Good morning from me. My name's Peter. Well, happy Mother's Day to all of the mums. Um, it's good to honour mums for their work. We do understand that these kind of... Every time you celebrate something, there's people for whom it's not a, a big celebration for them. And, and if that's you for one reason or another, just know that we get you. Um, but at the end of the day, mums do great work. And uh, it's good for us to, uh, to honour them. The start of the year, we made the call as a church that we do some teaching on parenting on Mother's Day and Father's Day. And uh, for those who don't have kids or their kids have left home, you go, oh, what, what point is this going to have? Well, it's going to have a lot of point because most of this stuff's relevant to people anyway, um, to people in general. So uh, let's start here, a well-known uh, section from one of the Psalms about um, children. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Psalm 127. Offspring, a reward from him. You feeling it today? <laughs> Not asking for a show of hands, right? Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The reality is there's all sorts of parenting experiences that we've all brought in to church today. Some of them have happened this morning and you're going, this is the worst Mother's Day ever. Uh, but here's what we do want to say. And we do want to say this, children are a blessing. Amen? They are a reward. If the Lord says that children are a reward, they're a reward. Um, and it can be easy to forget this, right? Especially when kids are a handful, especially when things aren't going so well, especially when the kitchen is trashed. Um, especially when sin is public and it's in the foreground, especially when you haven't had much sleep. Uh, it can be easy to forget it. Uh, but I want you to see something in these verses that uh, theologian Derek Kidner uh, identified, and uh, it's in the flow chart uh, on the top there, is that the movement of children is to move them from a handful to a quiverful. <laughs> All right? A handful to a quiverful. When kids are born, they're a handful, aren't they? Uh, there's responsibility involved. They take a lot of time, take a lot of money, uh, and it can be easy sometimes to get stuck in these places, right? They're tiring and the input never seems to end, but don't miss the greater goal. Uh, you need to keep the end point in view. What's that? Well, we're aiming for children to move from being a handful, from being a responsibility to being an asset, aren't we? Isn't that what we're doing? And some of you go, my kids are like 45 and they're still not an asset. And I'll just say to you, an asset to someone. <laughs> All right? That's, that's what we're aiming for, is that they'd be an asset to someone. Look at the, the metaphors that are used here. Verse 4. The picture is war. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. A children born in one's youth. You know, you think about the uh, culture of the day when this uh, psalm would have been written, no social security. Um, uh, your family was all there is to it. I mean, um, you know, we've been over to uh, Nepal a couple of times uh, as a church and uh, they employ their family. And uh, I remember talking to Graham about this because in Australia you don't do that, right? It's a sure fire sign that something's not good and a bit of nepotism going on, but uh, Graham said to me, well, they're, they're the only ones you can trust fully in the Pali culture. And th there's a bit of that kind of sense here in the, uh, in the Old Testament with the psalmist here is that your family is the one that has your back. 
They're the ones that support you financially because there's no social security. They're the ones, you can see it up here, that defend you in the gate. Can you see the movement? Handful to quiverful. Handful to quiverful. Responsibility and handful to asset. Uh, that's what we're aiming for. So the question then becomes, right, how do you get your kids there? How do you get them to the point where they're an asset? Well, it's about growing them up. That's what being a parent is. It's about growing your kids. And so I just really quickly want to refresh you with a couple of different categories of growing your children up um, and, and, uh, and then look at four key principles for, for growing kids today. Uh, here's where I want to start. Uh, growing up is normal for being truly human. All right? It just is. Uh, you can go back to our, uh, my message on that from 2022 on growing up. But you just need to know this, that this is actually normal. Uh, and it's actually normal for you to grow up. It's normal for um, children to grow up and, and to not stop growing up. Uh, that's the idea here. Now start with Adam and Eve. It's like, how old were they when they were created? They were perfect. And there were things they didn't know. There were things that they needed to grow up in. Uh, Move to Jesus. Even though he was perfect, there was much to learn. We see this verse in Luke 2, 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. There isn't one person that exists that doesn't have a lot to learn. All right? But the role of parents here is key. Okay, parents play a really key role in growing up their kids because kids need someone in this space for them. Um, and, and what are the two areas of growth that need to happen for children and for everyone? Well, I went through this last year. There's, there's a growth in created likeness and there's a growth in redeemed likeness. Let me start with the created likeness one. Everyone reflects God in one way or another. This is the image of God in man. It's, it's unique to uh, humanity, but there's even a broader sense, if you look at Romans 1 verse 20, that we all reflect God's character. Um, so having said that, there's lots and lots of ways and parts of who God has made your children to be that they need to grow into. And one of the categories, mega categories, to think about this growth in created likeness is wisdom. It pretty much captures everything, right? Um, wisdom in handling their personality. That would be an area where your kids need to grow. And we're not even necessarily talking about moral stuff. We're just talking about here's some areas where they need to grow wisdom in musical ability. They might have some musical talent. So you put them alongside a teacher and, and they get better at playing the piano or playing the drums. What's that? Well, it's kind of wisdom in playing the piano and playing the drums. It's, it's skill. Maybe it's wisdom in maths and English, wisdom in discerning what their talents are and how to grow them. You know, this whole half on the left is um, about growing your kids into who God made them to be. And you try things out. You uh, try to discern the, discern the kind of person God's made them to be. And, and see, this is critical, right? Because sometimes your kids are not the kind of person that you want them to be. Um, and I'm not talking about in a moral kind of way. I just mean you just wanted a different kind of kid. And it's like, uh, and it almost sounds rude to say it, but there's sometimes where you get to that point where you just go, I don't really want you to ro roll that way. And it's like, well, that's actually the way that God's made them to roll, you know? And so, so the goal here is like not imprinting on kids uh, the kind of person that we think they should be. I mean, one of the places you can see this um, that gets joked about all the time is in sport. 
you know, where parents live out their own aspirations of what they wanted for their own life in the lives of their kids. And it's like, well, maybe they're not a very good runner or they're not a very good rugby player or they're not a, a good cricketer. Maybe that's just not where their gifts and talents are and you can kind of foist it on them and try and make them to be that kind of thing, but that's going to end in frustration for everyone. Um, what's much better than that is who has God made them to be and how can we grow that? Uh, and that's kind of what I'm talking about on the left here. Um, you know, at the end of the day, parents, God's called you to grow and develop his people. Your, your kids ultimately don't belong to you, they belong to him and he's given his people to you to grow and develop them. And, and so you need to pay attention to uh, what he's made them to be like, who he's made them to be. You need to appreciate that uh, God's the one, as Psalm 139 says, that knit them together in the womb, um, that they're fearfully and wonderfully made, sure, corrupted by sin, as we all are, uh, corroded by it, but that still holds true and we need to discover who the person is that God's made and help to bring that out. There's a moral side to wisdom, but that's not what I'm talking about mainly here on the left. On the right-hand side is growth in redeemed likeness. And these two are interconnected with one another. Um, my, the one that we think about most is probably the one on the right. Uh, and it's not that we don't think about the other one, we just don't think about the other one as a kind of growth a lot of the time. The one that we think about as an area that needs to grow a lot of the time is the one on the right. And that has to do with sin and it has to do with the corrosion and, and the corrupting influence that the sin virus has had upon your kids. And when they sin publicly in the house and it affects everyone, everyone's going, you've got to grow up, right? And, and when we say things like, you've got to grow up or even think those kind of things, what we're actually saying and thinking is a biblical thought because sin makes people immature and childish. And, and there's, this, there's this thread through Scripture is that you don't just need to grow into the person God made you to be, you need to grow up out of the immaturities that exist there because of the sin virus. Um, and everyone starts with it. Um, no one is exempt from it. Um, this is our starting point. It's our kids' starting point. Uh, the issue with your kids, the issue with you, the issue with me is not, at the end of the day, behavioural. It's, it's a problem with the heart uh, inside of us. Because the heart is actually the seat of behaviour. And so I would just say to you, if you're a parent, um, the behaviour is the thing that's in your face. What you need to be focusing most of your attention on is the motivation behind it, and that's your child's heart. Um, our motivations are the centre of how we do life. And, uh, and so one of the things that we talk about quite a bit at the church here is how we worship unceasingly. We always have something in the God slot in our life that we worship and we love the most. And what comes out of us is a reflection of where our hearts are inclined at any one point in time. And that's absolutely the case when it comes to children. It can be a little hard to find it sometimes, but that's absolutely the case. And so we see things like this that Jesus says in um, Matthew's Gospel, which just speaks to this very reality. Uh, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognised by its fruit. For the mouth speaks, listen to this, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. 
You see, what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of my mouth, what comes out of your children's mouths is always flowing out of what's going on in their heart. That's just the way that it works. I remember years ago watching a Paul Tripp uh, video on parenting and he talked about um, apple nailing is, is what he talked, is the way that he put it. And he said, if you've got a pear tree in the backyard and you want it to be an apple tree, he said, it doesn't make it an apple tree by going out and nailing apples onto the tree, right? And, and his point was that what we often do is we get distracted by the behaviour because it's in our face and it's like, if we can just change that bit of behaviour, we'll, we'll have a win, right? But what Jesus is saying here is that the behaviour is actually the fruit of a deeper problem. And so if we don't actually dive down into the deeper problem of the motivation and what the child's loving and worshipping in that point in time, then it's, it's only going to be cosmetic until the apples that you've nailed onto the tree rot <laughs> and the pears come out again. And apologies if you like pears. Um, when your children are in a good place, good comes out of their mouth. When they're in a bad place, bad things come out of their mouth. Whatever rules their heart is determines the kind of things that come out of their mouth. So at the end of the day, here's, here's the bottom line, is that uh, uh, you need to be talking with your children about their heart and, and their motivations. You need to be looking at that um, and leading them to be personal uh, with Jesus about what they're doing with their heart. You can try and change the behaviour, but if you don't change the heart, then what's in the heart eventually comes out. That's just how it works. So I want to run through four, just on that, with that foundation laid, I want to uh, just run through four uh, principles for, uh, for godly parenting. Here we go. Here's the first one. Uh, teach your children about the glory of God through family habits. The, uh, the word glory in... Um, in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament's written uh, predominantly in Hebrew. The uh, word glory uh, in the Old Testament is kavod. Um, and uh, the idea of uh, kavod um, is, is about weight or heaviness or worthiness. So if you go to a, uh, a psalm like this one, uh, it uses the word glory there. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That word glory is kavod uh, in Psalm 19 verse 1. And again, it's that idea of heaviness or weight or worthiness. And so the idea behind it is that God is the weightiest one. He's the worthiest one, um, the supremely worthy one, in a sense, the one with the most mass. And I'm not talking about being overweight at this point. Uh, that's not what I mean. This is an image which describes what I'm talking about. In this creek... The water is running around the rocks. The reason why the water is running around the rocks is because the weightiness of the rocks is greater than the weightiness of the water. And so the water bends around the rocks. Um, in a sense, you could say that the rocks in the creek have got more glory than the water. They're more weighty. Uh, now, some of you might say, well, what if there's lots of water coming down and it pushes the rocks around? And I go, well, you've just proved my point. Because at that point, the force and the weight of the water coming through actually is going to be greater than the rocks. And so the rocks get pushed around. Um, whatever is the most weighty or glorious is the one around whom other things bend. 
If you want a decent sized rock and just think about something that might compare to God, you could probably go to that one. Right? And it's like, okay, tell me how much water you need to push that one around. Right? And now we're starting to get in the direction of the weightiness and the glory of who God is. Now, how do you teach your children about God's glory? Well, one of the ways that you do it is you do it through family habits. Um, how does your family bend around God? How does your family culture teach your children that you fit in with God, He doesn't fit in with you? That's weightiness, right? You think about the, uh, the rocks up here in the creek. If your family is one of those... Uh, if God is one of those rocks, your family is like the water that washes and bends around the rock because it's weighty. Um, and I want to give you some examples of how or some family habits that can teach your children that God is glory, glorious and weighty and significant. Um, and I'm not talking about legalism. Some of you are going to go, oh, it's getting legalistic now. It's like, no, your habits actually teach your children something about what is true. You can say whatever you like, but if your habits and the things that you do in your house actually aren't in line with what you're saying, they're not really paying attention to what you're saying anyway. All right? I'm sorry if this is the first time you've heard that, but that's, that's just how it works. Okay? Uh, your practices teach your children something about who God is. And some of these are going to be relevant to uh, non-parents. Non Say grace before meals. All right? Uh, maybe you even got to go back a step. This doesn't have to do with the glory of God, but maybe you even need to have meals together. Um, that's happening less and less in our culture, people having meals together. Have meals together, call everyone together, and then before everyone hooks into the food, say grace. Thank God. Um, start there. Here's, here's the second one. This gives me PTSD. Uh, family devotions. All right? Um, you need to do family devotions. And uh, it's Mother's Day, but I'll um, just... Dads, this is your job, right? Um, and it's not that mums can't just do a whole lot in this space, but um, you, you need to take the lead in this, all right? And I'm not saying it has to happen every night of the week, uh, once, twice a week, however much. And some of you go, all oh, right, I only have to do it two times. I don't know, work it out. Ask the Lord how much he wants you to do it. All right? Don't, don't use what I say as an excuse for you. You do what needs to be done in your family so that your children get a taste of how great and glorious God is. Um, and, and, like, it's easy for me to say that because some of you are going, you know, where's, I need some help. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, well, we would love to help you. And Tom and I have been talking about putting, publishing a list of resources that would be helpful for you to be able to take the lead in it. Um, dads, but mums as well, uh, really good to have you in that space, um, serving your kids and teaching your kids as well, as I'm sure that you do. Uh, third one, uh, uh, teach your children to do personal devotions. So on the nights when you're not doing family devotions, kids, before you do anything else, why don't you go and read something? Get buy them a devotional book. Go to Kurong and have a look and look through them. Buy them a devotional book and say, kids, go and spend some time and just read something out of the Bible and read something from a... This is if they're old enough. Read something from a devotion book and you talk to Jesus yourself before you do anything else. Attend church regularly, right? 
We see this a bit at the church where um, people come to church when it fits in with them. That doesn't teach your kids about the glory of God coming to church when it fits in with you. Coming to church and saying, we're going to church. And some of you might go, well, he's just saying that because he's a pastor, right? And it's like, no, I've been doing this before I was a pastor. You, have, you need to teach your kids about the glory of God. I'm not doing it so that we have bums on seats and we have a better head count or anything, all right? I'm, I'm just, that's not the point. Um, but you make it a priority for your family. And you say, you know what? If you had a really late night on Saturday night, we're getting up and we're going to church in the morning and you can look like you've had nowhere near enough sleep, all right? And you've just rolled out of bed and you may not get anything out of church. But you know one thing that you do get out of it, even if you get nothing out of it because you're so tired because you went to bed so late on Saturday night, you got out of it the fact that God's in the center and you bend around him. And that's worth going to church even if you get nothing out of it. Is that, does it make sense? And you just teach it. I mean, I remember so many times with my devotions because I remember I'm, I'm by nature I've changed a bit now but I'm by nature a, a night guy not a morning guy right and I got to this point in my life where I thought I, I need to start reading scripture and praying in the morning right because I read it at night and pray and then it falls out of my head on the pillow and then the next day I'm just running on on my own steam so I switched over to doing it in the mornings it was terrible for a long time right and I a regular prayer of mine was saying to the Lord God I'm getting nothing out of this right but i'm turning up and if if this is the only offering i can give to you that i've turned up and i've got out of bed early i'll be really pleased with that all right and it's a bit like that with church now we don't mark the role here right and we're not kind of sitting down going oh they weren't there on so we don't do that right this is about teaching yourself by the way and your kids about the glory of god connected to that Send your kids to youth, right? And send them to youth. Why? Because we believe in community here. Why? Because we believe in discipleship and we've got lots of really good people at youth that are going to disciple your children. Why? Because youth is not just about your children having a good time. All right? Youth is about growing kids and helping kids to grow up in who they are. whether I just smashed a glass but I'm about to smash another one all right now some of you go oh, he's getting legalistic it's like no no it's <laughs> no, not here's another one teach them about tithing of the first fruits right do you know in scripture what it teaches about your finances right is that you give the first 10 percent of the best part right that's what it teaches and what that communicates is that communicates about the glory of God, right? So here's, here's what I think you should be doing. If you want to teach your kids about the glory of God, teach them to tithe 10% of their gross income. I think that's what, that's what Scripture teaches. Like when we tithe 10% of our gross income, it says, God, you are glorious and you get the first cut, even before the government. There you go, I just smashed another glass. Maybe you don't do it, right? Um, maybe there's some financial struggles, and uh, we're not going to have a public conversation about that. Um, but can you see the point? 
You know, if you're sitting down with your gross income and you're saying, I'm going to give the first 10% of the best, that says something about God's glory, doesn't it? And his weightiness. And when your kids earn a wage, that, that's one of the first things that you want to do is you want to sit down with them and you want to say, here's what you do. God is glorious. He is holy. He is the supremely weighty one, the supremely significant one. And so we're going to give our best to him financially. And this one, serve with your kids, right? Just get them involved with stuff that you're doing. If you're serving in the church, find somewhere to serve together. That says something about God's glory as well, right? Um, the tendency sometimes in churches, and I've been like this sometimes, is to go out and to do stuff on your own and, and the kids are at home and then you go out and do something and then you come back and like you went and served the Lord and I'm just like, well, take your kids with you and serve the Lord together. Uh, that's a really, really uh, good thing to do. Um, there you go. That's one number one. The rest are a bit shorter. Number two, parenting principle. Teach your children that everything is spiritual in one way or another. This is really important, right? If you teach your children that some things are sacred, they're about God, and some things are secular and they're not about God, that's going to be a problem, all right? Because the whole of the world isn't about some things are sacred, some things are about God and some things aren't. Everything's about God. The whole place is his world and he lives personally in every single nook and cranny of this place, all right? So you just don't want to set up, that's a, like a, a false dichotomy, all right? It, it's, it's not that there's some bits are about God and some bits aren't. Everything's about God, absolutely everything, um, Here's, here's a few just principles that kind of underpin that. Um, God made all things in creation and everything reflects him in some way. Everything. Even a rock. Even the plywood that I'm standing on. Everything reflects God in some way. That's Romans 1 verse 20. Second thing is, we are to do all things for the glory of God. Scripture says that in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. God's meant to be the focus in everything. He's in on everything. The third thing there is that we worship unceasingly and bring our worship into everything that we do. And it doesn't matter what you do. You could be a bookkeeper and you're pushing numbers around for someone who doesn't even know Jesus that wants to make more money, <laughs> Right? Well, you're still worshipping in that time. You're still depending upon something or someone. So there's a sense in which even that is spiritual. Even that is sacred. And the last one there is that God is personally present everywhere in the world and how we respond to him in every moment is critical. So don't separate things into secular and spiritual. And so what does that look like for parents? It looks like talking about God naturally through the day. And not kind of forcing it in a cheesy kind of way, but bringing it up whenever it's relevant, whenever it suits. This is the kind of vibe that you get out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, or when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. What's he saying? Just talk about them everywhere. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So you see a sunset and it's amazing. 
and you, you stop to have a look at it. Have a look at that sunset out there. That is amazing. You call the kids out the front of the house. Come and have a look at this sunset. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? It's slipping in because it's true. Just go, isn't it amazing that God made that? Isn't that incredible? Maybe you see a, a beautiful parrot. Um, but there's different ways of going about this. Um, you know, you can ask them questions about the way that other people do life. You can be watching the news and uh, ask them a question about something that's on the news, about what they think about that. One of the ones that I've done before is, it was just impromptu, I didn't kind of think about it, I'm just letting you know because it's something that happened. We're sitting there and there is an advertisement on the back of a bus and we're just sitting in the car, so what do you reckon about that? We start having this conversation about it, it gives an opportunity to talk about the Lord. Um, Ask them what they think God thinks about things. Um, and, and the last thing I'll just say is, and this is, this is something I learned by working in a Christian school, um, is you just have to be careful about the direction in which you talk about things, right? Because I found in a Christian school that the tendency inside of me and the tendency inside of Christians is we always want to work from Bible to culture. Um, and what I actually found over teaching in Christian schools for about 18 years is if you work from Bible to culture, 99% of the time kids switch off and they don't listen to what you're talking about, all right? And if you go to Bible college, they'll work from Bible to culture, and normally in church when someone preaches up here, we're going to go from Bible to culture, but often, I'll tell you what's helpful, is that you can go from culture to Bible. So you start with what people are seeing, what they're observing around the place, and you ask questions about it. You know, I think sometimes, um, you know, Jesus talks about don't cast your pearls before swine. And I'm not saying that your kids are pigs, all right? But, but there is a principle in there that if you haven't prepared the soil, so to speak, for the seed of the word, don't just drop it in there yet. Ask a few more why questions. Um, ask what's going on with that. Uh, ask what they think about that and then you can bring in biblical questions. I don't, I mean, my kids are sitting here today, so I don't have this big time strategy that I'm running through all the time. And just let you know, this is kind of the way it tends to play its way out with us. So that's number two. Number three, uh, teach your children that you are under authority as much as they are. Now, this one goes all the way back to ownership. Uh, if you go to Psalm 24, verse 1, it's very clear the earth is the Lord's and everyone in it. That's you, that's your children. You belong to the Lord. Um, this is really critical. You're doing, as I said before, you're doing a job for God. That's what you're doing. It isn't ultimately for you. Your children are His people and He wants you to do what He wants you to do with them to bring them up so that they're quality people, so they're an asset. You know, the temptation in the, uh, in the midst of using parent, parental authority is kids can kind of jack up against it and just go, look, you can do whatever you want, you know. And we say, well, the Bible says you've got to honour your father and your mother, right? Um, and, and sometimes for us, we can just think, oh, I, I've just, I need to control the situation because I don't like it. We get in there and we try to turn it for our own ends. Uh, as though we're kind of the lowercase g God in our kids' lives. Uh, but that's, that's actually not what Scripture teaches. Scripture doesn't teach that parents can act autonomously. Um, 
very clear in Scripture that if you're a child, you answer to God for your obedience and your honouring of your parents. But you know what else? Parents answer to God for the way that they parented. <laughs> That's how it works. Uh, you can see this in Ephesians chapter 6 in, in, in the same passage. Look at these two. This is verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. God's got directions for kids. Verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He's got instruction for the dads. Now, there's lots more that we could do on this sort of stuff in Scripture, right? But here's the bottom line. When you're exercising authority over your children, particularly when you're disciplining them, they have to answer to God for how they respond. You have to answer to God for what you're doing. Everyone's answering to God, <laughs> all right? So you don't get a free hit. No one gets a free hit. And if your kids say to you, you can just do whatever you want, it's like, well, no, that's not true. That's not biblically true. Uh, and I think it's helpful sometimes to say to your children, I have to answer for the job that I'm doing <laughs> in this. And you have to answer for what you're doing with it. Everyone is under authority. Um, and here's just a side note about parental discipline, all right? Your goal with parental discipline is to do yourself out of a job. The purpose of discipline, disciplining children is to teach them self-discipline. That's what it is. And when they start being self-disciplined in an era, you stop disciplining. That's just how it works. Uh, and it's probably very irritating to my kids, but that's one of the things I say to them, is when you're self-disciplined in this area, I'll stop disciplining you. Good discipline does itself out of a job. Uh, really important to you to remember that. Number four, um, remember that while you can provide the context for change, change is above your pay grade. This is huge. No one can change another person's heart. Did you hear me? No one can change another person's heart. There's no parent in the world that can do that. This is the promise of the new covenant prophesied by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Your children need God's grace to act upon their heart in the same way that you need it. They're going to need to wrestle with God the same way that you wrestle with God. It's no different. Your children are a mini version of you. That's what they are. Um, added to this is the fact that God and you need to honour in some way your child's choices. Um, you know, you, you can try and override them and try and control them, but it doesn't work and it won't work in the end. Because in the end, you just end up with what I was talking about before, where you have some behaviour modification without any heart change. And if the heart hasn't changed, then you're just going to end up getting the fruit of that where the heart is in the end anyway. It just means you have to wait a little longer or they go onto the black market with it, right? And you just don't see it and you don't know what's going on. What does this mean for parenting if we can't change hearts? Uh, what this means is that as parents, we only provide the context in which the grace of God and the Spirit of God can be at work in our children's lives, okay? I want you to hear me say that. Our job as parents 
is not heart change. Our job as parents is to provide the context in which the grace of God and the Spirit of God brings about change in our children's lives. We are context setters. That's what we are. Now, bad contexts often lead children down unhelpful roads. Right? That is absolutely the case. We want to be parents uh, who set good contexts for our kids, right? And, and you know, downstream from this is, is this reality, and, and maybe some of you need to hear this today. Um, good parenting is not measured by what your children decide to do. If you, if you feel like you own your kids and you can create hard change and bring about the change in your kids that you think should happen, then you're going to connect your parenting to how, they, how things outwork for them. Does that make sense? But if you're a context setter, you don't measure good parenting by your children's choices. You measure good parenting by good parenting. <laughs> by setting the context for them. You know, and what this does and what this potentially could do for you is it, it just disconnects for you um, the connection between how our kids are travelling and, and whether we're a good or a bad parent. Now, it might be that you've done poorly at setting a good context. And at that point in time, I think an honest reflection on that would say, I haven't been a particularly good parent in that area. And it's like, well, okay, it's good to see that. Now's an opportunity to actually improve that. Um, and typically what, what easily happens is when our kids are going well we feel really good about ourselves and when we're not, they're not going well we feel like we're a failure but the measure for whether you've been a good parent is not how well your kids are going specifically it's how well you're setting a context for God's grace and his spirit to be at work in your kids if your child's disobeying you need to ask the question about what you're doing. Is there anything you should stop doing or anything you need to start doing? Those are some of the questions that are going to be relevant at that point in time. All right, I'm going to finish very quickly. I'm going to give you four parenting hacks. All right, really quickly. You ready for these? Here's the first one, and these are just not biblical, um, but they're good. Okay, it's, uh, it's, it's learned wisdom from Sondergaard. Here we go. You ready? Buy a good bike rack. All right? You will be no closer at any other point in time to losing your salvation than when you're trying to put six or four bikes or something on a bike rack. Okay? That will be... Honestly, if you've got young kids and you're going, those kind of bike racks are like $1,800. And it's like, yeah, well, how much is your holiness worth? That would be the question I'd ask, right? Uh, Just spend $1,800 and be closer to Jesus for the next 18 years. Okay? That would be a tip. Uh, here's the second one resist the temptation to assess your family culture when you're packing up from a camping trip that one goes without saying Um, that is not the time to work out how you're going but it will be the time where you'll go we really suck as a family because two of my kids are sitting over there I'm going off and now you know my wife and I talk in separation and we loved each other two hours ago don't do it don't do it just just get through and just 
get out. I mean, one of the things that we've started doing uh, when we go camping is actually packing up and leaving late the night before because it's like, man, that 10 a.m. deadline when you've got to be out of the park, that's the last thing you need, right? So we, uh, we get out and we all, we all still love each other, which is nice. Here's the third one, get a big hot water system. That's really important. We've had lots of hot water troubles um, and uh, it's, uh, it just makes for some nice conflict in the house in wintertime when someone gets in the shower and it's like everyone's watching TV and you've almost watched the whole of 60 minutes and the shower's still running and then, and then you get in there and it's freezing cold. It's not, it's not cool, especially in it's warmer. And here's the last one. Be aware that the window for hiding food from your children is a very, very short one. Seriously, you'll think that you'll be able to do it. It doesn't, it doesn't last that long. It's probably, once they start looking for food, uh, you're cooked, all right? Basically, they're going to find it. They're like, they got to, you know, they're like sniffer dogs, really. They could just, just find it anywhere in the house. There's your tips. There's a, uh, four more Sunday Girl parenting hacks. All right, I'm done. Uh, here's three resources you could look up, which I think are really worthwhile for different age kids. Uh, the one on the right is Paul Truth's book on parenting. That's an awesome book, and it's very readable. You should all go out and buy it if you're a parent. You need to read it and refer to it and uh, reread it and then probably keep referring to it, all right? Um, there's a whole bunch of um, uh, gospel principles, 14 gospel principles that uh, feed into good parenting. So have a read of that. That's really good. The one in the middle, if you've got kids up to about uh, eight years old, uh, I'm not even making this up. The Jesus Storybook Bible is the best kids' story Bible it probably will be for the next 50 years. It just is. It's just, it's just awesome. So if you've got kids um, that can talk, you should be reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to them and it just fits in really, really well with how we roll here at the church. And, um, and the last one on the left there is if your kids are a little bit older, probably in high school. Uh, that's a really, really good book because uh, parents are, um, are called to disciple their kids. Um, and that is basically, it's basically a workbook that takes them through a, a, about 12 different chapters where there's five kind of daily questions. There's five, five days usually per chapter and uh, they're on things like, there'll be a chapter on spiritual gifts and it'll ask a whole bunch of questions about spiritual gifts and give the scripture verse that they need to go to and they can actually go to the Bible and learn about what spiritual gifts is themselves from the Bible um, it's not a book that they have to read cover to cover. It's actually more of a workbook. So that one's really helpful. You might have other uh, books that are really helpful, but there's a few to get you started. Okay? It's... Um, children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen? Yeah? And um, we're tasked with uh, moving them from handful to quiverful. So let's do that well. I wonder if you stand with me, we'll pray, hey? Just going to pray and ask the Lord's help, and then we'll sing uh, our last song for today. God, it's not uncommon for you to... Um, ask us to do things that are beyond us and uh, it just runs the whole way through your word that you ask us to do things that are beyond us and Jesus says that beautiful uh, section in the gospels there where you say I'm, I'm going to send a helper and uh, so we just would say to you today if we're 
parents today, uh, no matter what stage that we're in, you know, we need help. And um, some of us uh, are saying that pretty intensely. <laughs> we need help because uh, we're in situations that are, that are really difficult and hard to manage and we're concerned for our kids and our, we're burdened for them and we're praying for them. And, um, but we all need a God. Whether we feel it keenly or not, we all need your help uh, with this job. And I uh, pray that you would help us. Uh, thank you that you have helped us. Uh, help us to raise your kids right. Provide the context uh, for your spirit and your grace to just be lathered on thick in their lives and bring about uh, change and goodness inside of them. Amen.